So uh, we have a great opportunity to, once again, learn from God's Word. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 John. Um, you know, over this week I've been thinking about, honestly, I, I'm a preacher. I can preach, you know, as far as, well, let me just say it this way. There's all kinds of ideas on what to preach on. And all this week I've been thinking, what to preach on? What does God want me to preach on? And I had like 1,600 miles to think about this and pray about it and, and to work through it. And I had some ideas of going off a message I preached a couple weeks ago, and I was going to do that last night. And then the Lord was like, no, not that one. And so I started looking at what led to that message, and then it kind of went back to here, and then it went to here. And then going back to 1 John, knowing and standing for the truth. Knowing what the truth is and standing in it. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be kind of looking at some things in 1 John. I'm going to be restudying through a lot of this. And hopefully God's going to teach us some things about knowing how to stand in the day and age in which we live. By way of introduction, and I'm not going to preach as long this morning because I have a couple other things I want to do towards the end of the service today. But I want us to just kind of get a little bit of an idea of what 1 John is about. I've heard messages on 1 John my entire life. Uh, I started going to church when I was five years old. I was a snotty-nosed bus kid. And um, you're going to take the other ones, take him too. So I, I ended up going to church on the bus when I was five years old. And uh, so I've heard all kinds of messages about this, but until we start applying the truth of God's Word, it's just words on a piece of paper. We need to apply what these words say. And really, a lot of 1 John talks about evidences or assurances of our salvation. If you are truly a child of God, you're going to see some things in here that either A, you should be doing, or B, you should not be doing. And I hope that this speaks to our hearts concerning what it is and what it means to be a child of God. Now, John is the author of this, and John is now an aged man with years of insight, and began to write to an apostate generation of people. And before we go any further, if I were to just say, stop right there and just say, do we live in an apostate world? Yes or no? Absolutely we do. We have all kinds of faiths, all kinds of denominations, all kinds of religions. In fact, what I realized a couple years ago when I was talking to an attorney who was dealing with a religious uh, property suit, He said there are now over 44,000 registered denominations in the world. Really? There is no end to what the imagination can can drum up in their minds. If there's a religion for this, and you want this, well, we can make one for that. But there's only one Bible. There's only one God. Only one Jesus Christ. Only one the Holy Spirit. And they work together to give us one truth. And that's what we need to stand on. So Paul, I mean, excuse me, John, is writing to an apostate generation of people. In fact, he was writing specifically, I believe, to a third generation of quote-unquote believers. Uh, you see, the first generation of Christians lived and made decisions by conviction. There's a word that we don't hear a lot of in this day and age, but the word conviction. It is, I've always been taught, something that you are willing to die for. This is so important to me, it's so much truth to me, that I am willing to stake my life on it and die by it if necessary. It's a conviction. They fought for the truth, and if necessary, they were willing to die for the truth. The second generation of Christians, well, many of them, they inherited the truths of the first generation, but their convictions softened into beliefs. And it's unfortunate, but that happens to a lot of Christians whose kids fall away from the faith, so to speak. Oh, they know a little bit about the Bible, a little bit about God, but the convictions that the parents stood for have become softened beliefs in the second generation. 
And that's unfortunate. And parents, we need to be praying for our kids like never before so that they have a faith of their own. That's super important in the day and age that we live. It's, it's super important for every generation. But we don't want our kids just to know a little bit about what our parents believed, right? We want our kids to know Jesus Christ and to live for our Heavenly Father for themselves, not because of who we are and what we believe. See, when I die, my children won't give an account for uh, what they think they know of what their parents did. They will stand before God. And we don't want them to just have a softened conviction that turned into a softened belief. We want them to live solidly on the Word of God. They were willing to stand for truths they inherited, but the zeal with which they were taught had escaped them. By the time the third generation of Christians came along, their beliefs turned into opinions. Have we not seen that in some of our own family trees at times? What we stood firm in, our kids were a little bit less on, and by the time the grandparents came or the grandkids came around, well, they just kind of go for anything. It's just an opinion. Well, if it's right for you, then it's right for you. It doesn't make it have to be right for me. There's a couple of lessons to learn here. Number one, we should never stop praying for our children and grandchildren, number one. Number two, we need to make sure that we are teaching and discipling and mentoring, and not only that, living it out so that it is modeled for them to see it. Amen? We need to make sure that what we are that what we believe is true from the Word of God is instilled in the hearts of our children. And I hope they see that in us. But by the time the third generation came around, their beliefs had turned to opinions. And this is the group to which John was writing. John, seeing the apostasy all around him, understood that this generation needed a fresh encounter and a relationship with Jesus Christ. So nearing the end of the first century, there were four main heretical teachings that made their way into the church. And you say, well, not in the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, in the church. And if we're not careful and we don't stand for truth, other thinking and other thought or other thoughts and other ways of thinking will creep in. So we have to know the truth, and the truth will guide us. So the first heretical teaching came from the Ebionites, who denied the very deity of Christ. And, and unless you think that is just a, a far-off group that you've never heard before, it's true today, because in denying the deity of Jesus Christ and, and God the Father, you are saying that I don't believe in the Trinity. I don't believe that God the Father is God the Son is God the Holy Spirit. The Ebionites, they're alive and well in today's world. There are other religions and denominations, I don't get, won't get into it, that they don't believe in the Trinity. They're all around us. They say, well, God is God and Jesus is Jesus, but they can't be two in one. They're not two simultaneously as one. Yes, they are, because God's Word teaches that. Three in one. So the Ebionites, even though that was a, a group that John uh, uh, tackled in his day, it's a day that's alive and well today. Well, to the Ebionites, Jesus Christ was just another man created like anyone else. Jesus was just Jesus. But we all know that Jesus is more than just a man. He was the Son of God. The second heretical teaching came from the Docetists, who denied the humanity of Jesus Christ. So unlike the Ebionites, who believed that Jesus was just a man, well, the Docetists, they didn't even believe that he was human. That's just a name. He might have existed, but we don't believe it. And so the Docetists uh, were another group that did not believe that Jesus had come in the flesh. He was just a figure with no physical body. And John was there to confront that. Well, the third group was this, were the Corinthians, who denied the existence of both the divine and physical nature of God. I don't believe that he's physical, and I don't believe that he was divine. 
And so I don't know who this guy you think he is, but he may have been a spirit who descended, but then he descended, and he might have been there for a little while, but now he's gone, but it's not forever. It's just temporary. And then the fourth group is probably a group that you've heard of before. They were the Gnostics. And the Gnosticism denied the true humanity of Jesus Christ could preserve them from evil. In other words, he was just another good man, but he can't take us and protect us and preserve us from evil by putting our faith and trust in him. So Gnosticism denied the true humanity of Jesus Christ. And John preached that all four of these teachings were heresy. You say, well, how could John speak so authoritatively on these issues? How could he stand up with authority and say, this group is wrong, and this group is wrong, and this group is wrong, and this group is wrong? How could he do that? I mean, doesn't that make him just a jerk that just thinks he's right and everyone else is wrong? Well, Let's look at our Bibles in 1 John chapter 1, and let me read just verses 1 through 4, and uh, we'll kind of lay a little bit of a foundation. Uh, you know, this time frame is the first century A.D. It took place in what we would call modern-day Turkey in that area, that region. And, uh, and then we know that the world in that day was in chaos, just like it is today, and we're still fighting the same beliefs in people in our day and age as he was. But 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says, "...that which was from the beginning..." which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life, which is, was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we, uh, we write to you that your joy may be full. Well, there is a lot of things that we need to understand about this passage, and we're just going to look at the first four verses this morning, uh, and we'll break them down so that we can apply them to where we live in the day and age that we are now living in 2020. And you know that there's a lot of similarities as we start First John chapter 1 with even John 1. 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In the same way, John was going through and preaching to a world that didn't even realize that they were in darkness. It was chaos. It was crazy. And so he's writing to this third generation of believers who needed a fresh encounter with God. In general, there were false teachings of John's day, just like there was false teaching in our day. And how do we know that John could speak so authority? Basically, three words. I was there he said he was there you know so much of what we read about today is someone else's account is what somebody else said what somebody else said they saw john said this is not hearsay it's not what somebody else said i was there and because he was there it gave him the authority to speak the way he did so what do we learn concerning the word of truth it was from the beginning we have heard it we've seen it with our eyes we have looked upon it. We have touched it with our hands, so to speak. And the reality is, John said, I was there. And it was real. So that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled it concerning the word of life. And from John 1, we know that the word was Jesus Christ. He came down and manifested. And just think about that just for a moment. We hear a lot about Jesus. We, we, you know, we've grown up in church, a lot of us. We've, we've heard a lot of stories. We've heard about the miracles and the parables and, 
and, the, and all the things that Jesus did and said. But can you imagine just for a moment, how, I'm, I'm just, let, less it's just me thinking this, how many think the world is crazy, it's chaotic? Anybody? Right. Can you imagine just for a moment leaving heaven to experience what this world has to offer? So, well, only a lunatic would do that. Well, he's not a lunatic, but he gave up. He sacrificed. He gave up the best of everything to come down to earth to experience what it means to live in the flesh. To know what it means to hunger, to thirst, to be sad. To take on the limitations of the flesh so that he could be the perfect sacrifice, sinless, without blemish. That he would shed his blood for our sins. And he left the splendor of heaven to come down to earth for you and I. That's amazing to me when I think about that. And think about the senses that he's talking about. His ears, what we have heard. Our eyes, what we have seen. His hands, what we have handled and touched. He said it was real. He was physically here in the flesh. And he lived as our example. But look at verse 2. He says, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Here's the question that came to my mind. What have I done with what I've been given? Jesus Christ was came down from, God, from heaven, left the splendor of heaven to come down to earth, was manifested to us to give us what we needed to live through this life, What have I done? What have we done with what we know concerning Jesus Christ? Because the life of Jesus Christ was made manifest, what did John say he was going to do? Two things. Testify of what we have seen and proclaim to you eternal life. Those two things. Testify of what he's seen and then proclaim to you eternal life. What have we done with what we have been given? I think by application... We should be doing the two, thing, two of the same things, amen? We should be giving testimony of what Jesus Christ has done, and we should be proclaiming him to a lost world, right? There we go. Just want to make sure we're on the same page here. The reality is, we've been given a lot. We know a lot. Do we open our mouths about what we've been given? Do we share about what God has done? This last week was a kind of unique opportunity. I was standing... Uh, in uh, Peddler Dan's uh, shop in Starbuck, Minnesota. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But this guy came in, and he was saying, Hey, you better you know, get, your, get your act together because Jesus Christ is coming soon. And, and, and of course, Peddler Dan just kind of, uh, he's crazy. Everybody in town knows he's crazy. And, uh, and then my mom's standing there. He goes, Well, he's a preacher too. Thanks, Mom. I kind of would approach it just a little bit differently, but... Mom, I know you're probably watching, but thank you. But, uh, but, I, but I had an opportunity to share just for a moment, just a few words that, you know what? We don't know when he's going to come. And the reality is, we've got a job to do. And this breaks my heart a little bit, that we have, we're in a time period of history. Yeah, like none other time period, but yet a lot of like other time periods, there's chaos. And accusation, and hatred, hatred, and disunity, 
and opinions flying, right? All around us. Everybody's got an opinion about masks. Everybody's got an opinion about politics. Everybody's got an opinion about this. That. It, it just doesn't stop. It's irritating. It's rubbing me the wrong way because it's, 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 it's cramping my style. Maybe you can feel the same way. But like never, but at least to me, like none other time in history, we have got to stand for truth. Last Thursday night, we as men talked about standing in the faith and standing up because of the faith. Those two aspects. Are we standing up in the faith and are we standing up because of the faith? We live in a world where people need to see Jesus, not our opinions, more than anything. What are we doing about that? This is why Jesus Christ came to this earth, right? It's easy to get caught up in all the other stuff. It's so easy. Just mention a word and I can go off on it. You can too, unless you think it's just me. You can too. And it's irritating at times. And then I catch myself a little bit later after the fact when I get a little bit of, you know, senses come to me. Why did I just keep my mouth shut? Because it's too easy not to. Anybody agree? It's just too easy to say something. Why? Because I feel the need for you to hear me. I want you to know how I feel. I want you to know what I'm thinking. I want you to know that I'm right and you're not. Don't worry. you got two hands and a foot too. But the reality is, he said, I came here. And John said, because I have seen, because I have heard, because I have touched it, because I've handled the circumstance, I am going to proclaim and testify of Jesus Christ. And that's what we need more than anything in this world that we live in. To testify of Jesus Christ. I wonder sometimes if we've truly made the commitment to follow. Have we really considered what it means to follow Jesus? I'm convinced that many of us have not. Maybe even myself. Maybe I, maybe I think I'm further along than what I really am. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I think we have a good way of fooling ourselves. Thinking we're further along, more committed, and more knowledgeable in the, of the Word of God than what we really are. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, it says this, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Hmm. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Say, well, that's harsh. I mean, that that, that just sounds so unloving and so uncaring. He said, I want you to realize there is a commitment to following Jesus. There's a commitment. I've made this statement before, and maybe we don't think about it often enough, but here's the, here's the statement. Any commitment worth making will require sacrifice. Any commitment worth making will require sacrifice. If there's no sacrifice involved, it's not much of a commitment. That's fact. If there's no sacrifice, there's no commitment. If you're going to make a commitment to a sports team, the sacrifice is that you're going to give up your time, your energy, your sweat to perform well, to learn the trade, to do well, to win. But if you're not willing to sacrifice your time, your energy, your efforts to learn, to grow, to be stretched, don't make the commitment. It's not worth it. He says, if you are truly following Jesus Christ, he says, I want you to understand something. 
Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. The commitment to following Jesus Christ may require everything that we have. Everything we possess. It may not. But are we willing to give up what we've got to follow Jesus Christ? I think the point that many of us have not gotten to is that, oh, we like going to heaven. That thought sounds really, really good. I like the idea of having a church family that we want, you know, where we love one another and support one another, encourage one another. That sounds phenomenal. But sacrifice? Give up my time, my talents, my treasures? Give up what's important to me? You say, are you asking me to die for Jesus? No, I'm not. In fact, Jesus doesn't ask that. What he asks in Romans 12 is that you give your life a living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And practically speaking, that may mean that there are some things for me to give up to be fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. And I want us to ask this question. What have I given up because of a relationship with Jesus Christ? What have I given up? What am I willing to give up? What is it that Jesus Christ may be saying, you know, this is borderline idol in your life. You need to let loose of that just a little bit. What is it that is more important than my reading God's Word and spending time in prayer and testifying and proclaiming of Jesus Christ? What is it that is hindering me from doing those things? And do I need to give those up and sacrifice those for a greater cause? I think in this world that we live in, we have not truly, not, I'm, I'm saying we because it's me too. If I point back, i got three at least fingers coming back at me. I'm, I'm saying all of us. Amen? We have not learned sacrifice at all compared to what some of these men went through. Are we willing to give up what is nearest and dearest to us to be fully committed to Jesus Christ? When I look at this, I think, wow, that's hard. That's hard. In my flesh, I don't want to give up stuff. I want more. I don't want to give up. I want more. Because I think I deserve it. I think it's incredible to have. But here's what Jesus Christ reminds us of. John chapter 15, verse 11. These things have I spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be what? Full. That our joy may be full. He says, listen, I'm calling you to a life of sacrifice, but this is a life that's going to lead to full joy in me. You say, well, how can that be? How, how, how can we reconcile that in our mind? That on one hand, He wants us to sacrifice everything, but on the other hand, this is what's going to give us the most joy. That goes, is that not contradictory to the way we are brought up, taught to think? That by sacrifice, I get joy? But that's exactly what He's saying. Because life is not about the stuff. It's about living for Him. And He says, I came here to, that, that the world might know Me. John 3.16, we know, For God so loved the world that He, what? Gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And saying, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might, what? Be saved. It's that kind of a commitment in following Jesus Christ that truly brings us to joy. 
And that's why he goes on and says uh, in verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And then he says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, once again, brings back the idea of sacrifice. If I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do, it's going to require sacrifice. Because I can't fully follow Jesus Christ and fully follow what I want to do at the same time. It doesn't work that way. So the commitment is going to require sacrifice. Jesus came to this earth that we might have an abundant life. And we see that in 1 John. Look at verse 2 again. The life was manifest, and we have seen and bear witness. And that word bear witness means to be a reflection of. It means to reflect the image of Christ. So what John was saying, he goes, I don't want people to see me. I want people to see a picture of Christ. When they look at me, I want to be a mere image of him. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said the same thing. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. Paul says, I don't want people to see Paul. I want, to see people, I want people to see a reflection of Jesus Christ when they see me. So he says, this life was manifested. We have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father was manifested to us. And here it is, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So what is He inviting them to? A family. A fellowship that revolves around the person of Jesus Christ, not ourselves. It all revolves around Him. Why did John proclaim this? So that others might have the same fellowship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came to draw us together. Think about this for a moment. How many of you have family that don't live in the area? Maybe they're in another state. Maybe they're several states away. But for a reason, they're distant from where you're at. I was sharing this with, I, don't know, I can't remember who I was sharing it with. I think it was the guys, men's Bible study. You know, my early years of ministry, I used to pray, Lord, open up a door of ministry near my family. I wanted to live. I wanted to live by my family. I, I jokingly, I, I'm not joking, but I, I, I used to go. To, you know, we talk about churches in New York. There's, there's maybe 500 Baptist churches across the state of New York. There's 500 in Memphis. Every time I go down to Memphis, I look at the yellow pages. For those of you that remember those, take out that half inch section and rip them out and say, okay, I'm gonna start calling these churches to see if I can find a church that needs an assistant or something or needs a pastor and see if I can find a church in Memphis area that's down south, closer to my wife's family and all this, or Minnesota, and find a church somewhere where my... I could never get into a church near my family. God did not let it happen. He would not let it happen. And so I realized early on that God did not want me near family. And because of that, and I'm thankful for that, that my church is my family, literally. Our kids are probably closer to many of you than they are our blood relatives just because they're around you so often. My church is my family. But when I'm with my blood family, and when you're with your blood family and relatives, isn't that sweet? I'm not saying there's not struggles. I'm not saying there's not problems. But you enjoy those times that you are able to get together, right? Even if it's down at the other end of the state, when you have those moments, you look forward to that fellowship because you don't get to see him often. The fellowship becomes what? Sweet. 
the fellowship that you have with Jesus Christ is the sweetest thing that you can ever experience. To know that He is there with you, that He loves you, that He came to die for you, that you might have fellowship with Him. And this is what John was talking about. He says, I have this fellowship with the Father, and I want you to have that same fellowship because it's sweet. I want you to experience that. I want you to know that. And this is really where fellowship is. Revolving around Jesus Christ. It says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also, that you may experience the same joy, the same fellowship that I have because of what Jesus Christ has done. He says, truly our fellowship with the Father, with His Son, Jesus Christ. How can someone have that kind of fellowship by committing their life, their faith, their trust to Jesus Christ and Him alone. See, God's Word reminds us in, in the Old Testament, it says there is a way that seems right into a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I can do what I want, but it's not going to get me anywhere substantial. It's a, it's a matter of making a commitment to follow Jesus Christ that we can have that true joy, that true fellowship with, with Jesus Christ. Say, so can you really know that? Yes. Yes, you can. First John 5, we'll get to that later, but First John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you who believe that you might what? Know that you have eternal life. It's not wishing, it's not thinking, it's not hoping, it's knowing that you have Jesus Christ. And once you know that, It's a matter of growing in Him. And He says, this is what I want you to have. This is what I want you to experience in your walk. And why did John write this? Verse 4, And these things we write to you that your what? Joy may be full. Did He say so that you'd be happy in every circumstance? No. Anybody not ever happy in some circumstances? And there's a lot of circumstances that do not make me happy. But despite the circumstances that don't make me happy, I still have joy in the Lord. Because I know where I'm going to go. I know that this is all going to end. Everything we're experiencing in this life is temporary, right? Right? It's not going to be here forever. It's a matter of fully trusting in Jesus Christ. It's a matter of putting our trust in Him, knowing that He's going to take care of over and over we see this in Scripture. In John chapter 20, verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hand, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Think about that just for a moment. And after eight days, he dis- the, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with him. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of the, and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. 
And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. We need to have faith. There's a lot of things that we don't not see, but we trust the one who's orchestrated them all. Do we have faith that God's in control? Do we have faith to put our trust in him and in him alone? But John said two reasons. Actually, three, but to testify of the Lord and what I've seen and heard and experienced. Then to proclaim, but by doing that, that you may have a full joy in your heart. He said, Jesus is real. I saw him. He says, I can testify and proclaim of Jesus. I was there. So he wants to have fellowship with you. He loves you. You, as if you're the only one. He loves you that much. And he wants you to have joy. It's not in circumstances. It's not in situations. It's in Jesus. And in him alone. So, this morning as we think about this, and ending with verse 4 in our text, he says, I want you to have full joy. And the joy comes by knowing him. Unless we walk away from that without the opportunity, the joy requires commitment, which requires sacrifice. Sacrifice. So many people in this world live in this world as though it, it revolves around wah. Take you out of the picture, the world's not going to change it one iota. I can't remember who won the football championship three years ago. I can't remember who won the World Series last year. I just don't remember those things. When I was a kid, I could tell you who all the Vikings were. I, I can't tell you five Viking players right now. I really can't. I cheer for them, but I, I can't tell you who they are. I just can't. When I was seven or eight years old, I could tell you who every one of the IndyCar races were. I, I collected the cars. I, you watch the Indianapolis 500 every year. I could tell you, every, I, I don't know who they are anymore. I don't know. I don't care. I used to have a favorite basketball player. I, I don't care anymore. I can't remember who won last year's NBA play. I don't even know who's in it. But you know what? At the end of it all, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. We can get all hyped up about this or that, the other thing, but the reality, it doesn't matter when it's all said and done. What matters are the two things that will count for this, count for life and, and stand the test of time is the souls of men and the Word of God. Everything else is going to be burned up and tried by fire. Nothing else matters. Sometimes, in, uh, I, sometimes I get frustrated at myself for this reason. I used to think everything was funny. You know how you are when you're a kid, you grow up, you laugh at everything, everything's funny. I catch myself not laughing sometimes. Somebody will tell me a funny joke and it's like, uh, I give the complimentary, uh, it's not funny to me. And sometimes I get upset with myself and I say, come on, lighten up a little bit, chill. And other times I think, not funny though. Why, why am I going to give a complimentary laugh when it's not funny? And I think to myself, so much of what 
this world has to offer is meant to please us. When God wants us to know what we're doing for him. And it's easy to justify, right? It's easy to justify. I'm good at it. I can justify why I do what I do. I want to. I like it. It makes me happy. It makes me feel good. And yet, I look back and I say, I have so little sacrifice in so many areas. And I, at times, want to look around and say, well, I should be doing this, but I'm busy doing that. Because I haven't learned sacrifice. I haven't learned the commitment that requires in following Jesus sometimes. Maybe you can relate, maybe you can't. But he said, I am come that you may have joy. And the joy comes from a commitment following Jesus Christ, which requires a life of sacrifice and saying no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. Maybe you can relate, maybe you can't. But that's where it starts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. We thank you for the opportunity to, to be able to apply it to our hearts and our lives. so that we can become more like you. Help us to be willing to sacrifice more, to truly live for you. And through that, knowing that our joy may be full, our fellowship is with you will be sweet, because you love us individually. Maybe you're here this morning, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe you're here this morning and say, well, Pastor, I can relate. I understand what you're saying. So much of life has been about me. So much of my life revolves around me, what I want, what I want to do, what I want to accomplish, and what I want to see more than being a reflection and an image bearer of Jesus Christ. I need a fresh encounter with Jesus. A coming back to Jesus moment where I said, I'm willing to recommit. Endure what is necessary. Sacrifice where necessary to be fully committed. Say, Pastor, God's, God's challenged my heart. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? in the back, in the center. Yes. Can I just challenge those of you who have acknowledged it this morning, just take a moment and pray. Lord, help me to be committed. May my life show a life of sacrifice and commitment to you and you alone. May we start finding our joy in him rather than in things and circumstances. on having fellowship with the Father. Spending time in His Word and prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the opportunity to be here today. To look at Your Word that we might draw closer to You and be more like You. And for each one who raised their hand their heart toward You this morning, I ask God that You draw us closer. And I pray, Lord, that You do a work in our lives, Lord, that only You can Thank you for your word, how it's still true today. May we apply it appropriately. Pray these things in Jesus' name.